Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to my show, The Red-Eyed Geek, starring me, The Red-Eyed Geek. And this is my third episode. I'm a work in progress, right? So, in my first episode, I went to try to explain why I think Europa is this important character to uh, Greek and biblical mythology. Um... And then in the second episode, I kind of tried to relate the story of the descendants and the lineage from what it says in Greek to what it says in Hebrew, relating to the same story. Um, Now I wanted to kind of take all of that information and go for the other linchpin in this story. Uh, When I started with this talking about Europa, she is the you know the heart of the story in greek mythology but the linchpin character uh related to the hebrew side and the canaanite side of it is actually live step back and go what is ancient libya you know she was a goddess her sister is actually in in roman is clemene but in greek mythology it is asia so in the breakdown of it you have you know, Europa as Europe, Libya as Africa, and her sister as Asia. You know, but in ancient Libya, it says in classical Greece, the term has a broad meaning, encompassing the continent that later became known as Africa, which in antiquity is assumed to constitute one of the third of the world's landmass. Europe and Asia combined, making up the other two thirds. To the ancient Greeks, Libya, Egypt, and Ethiopia make up Africa until Phoenicia, which is the Greek word for Canaan, right? Because when you look at, you know, what they say in the stories, they mention Egypt, they mention Ethiopia, and everything else is pretty much Libya. So let's say you was on a boat and you got lost and you ended up down in like southern africa somewhere you would just say you were lost in libya you know that would be their interpretation they probably wouldn't have any other way to describe it unless they were uh on the other side of the now then maybe you know they would say something like they were in ethiopia um so with that being ancient libya and everything the question becomes okay so how does this translate you know further into the future in the relationships that i made with everything it goes to you know a stage of the greeks which is around six seven hundred bc when they do the writings and everything like that and then you go into the bible which you know describes the phoenicians which takes you up to you know uh moves through time where you can see them um So I was talking about the next big thing in history after that, uh, you know, because now we kind of have the Old Testament and that's about, you know, it ends around 1000 BC. Uh, But you have um, the character of Hannibal, right? So Hannibal, who was the man, the myth, the legend, you know, the boogeyman of Rome. he was one of the greatest military guys ever like this is the guy you could make a whole episode on like i come from a family of like 
martial artists and stuff like that so when you think about actual fighting and fighting strategy and stuff like that Hannibal has what they call the perfect battle and it's even studied in militaries to this day um, but with that being said uh, in the stories of the Phoenicians the Phoenicians ended up becoming the Carthaginians they say in history so Hannibal is a Carthaginian and he was a Carthaginian general and statesman who commanded the forces of Carthage in the battle against the Roman Republic during the Second Punic War Hannibal is considered one of the greatest military tacticians and generals of antiquity alongside Philip of Macedon Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar Scipio Africanus and Pyrrhus. Pyrrhus is the son of Achilles or Neoptolemus is his name according to the writer Plutarch Scipio asked Hannibal it's Scipio Africanus who was the greatest general would which Hannibal replied either Alexander or Pyrrhus or me basically um, so Hannibal was a beast you know now Scipio Africanus was the man who beat him and his rival um, let me talk about a bit about Scipio Africanus he was often regarded as one of the best military commanders and strategists of all times I mean because one he beat Hannibal and uh, the Battle of Zama in 202 BC. So this victory in Africa earned him the epitaph Africanus, literally meaning the African, but meant to be understood as a conqueror of Africa. So when it comes to a namesake in ancient Libya, this is one of the big indicators of the name change. You have the Carthaginians, which had a name change in them. You know, because so they know this area and these people are there. But then, you know, Rome labels it, you know, Africanus after him in Africa. And that is a specific area on the continent, actually. So, Scipio Africanus actually beat Hannibal. You know what I'm saying? Uh... It says Scipio realized that the Carthaginian forces, especially the superior Numidian cavalry, proved actually infantry forces of the Roman legions. The Numidians actually live in the African region, you know, so that's why the uh, name Africa ends up sticking because he ended up allying with the Numidians and they allied together to fight the Carthaginians which was Hannibal um, so the guy who fought with Scipio from Numidia which is uh, you know basically the Morocco area northern Africa they call the Berbers the people that became the Moors when you get all the way down to it the Numidians had a um, King Masinissa so this was another character who was important in the battle against Hannibal right it's that Masinissa is the son of a Numidian chieftain allied to Carthage he fought against the Romans in the second Punic War but later switched sides upon concluding that Rome would prevail with the support of his erstwhile enemy he united the eastern and western Numidian tribes 
and founded the Kingdom of Numidia. As a Roman ally, Masinissa took part in the decisive Battle of Zama in 202 BC that effectively ended the war and Carthage's defeat. You know, so the whole Masinissa, Numidian, ancient Libya, still remnants of these people going on with with uh, Masinissa and Hannibal, and then it Im- still involves Rome with the Scipio Africanus, right? And one of the other reasons why I bring up Hannibal is his name itself, right? So when you look up, you know, the actual name, it says Hannibal was a common Semitic Phoenician Carthaginian personal name. It is recorded in Carthaginian sources as HNB. Looks like a comma L. Which I guess would be the yacht symbol, I guess, if that's what it means. I'm not sure when it's written in English versus looking at it in like something like Hebrew. But um, it is a combination of the common Phoenician masculine name given Hanno with the Northwest Semitic Canaanite deity Baal. Uh, which, you know, we know what Baal is and it's kind of a term for Lord. Uh, as a major god of the Carthaginian. Genian's ancestral homeland of Phoenicia in Western Asia. Now they say this is Western Asia, but we know according to the Bible, Canaan is descended of Ham. It's Africa. Well, uh, its precise vocalization remains a matter of debate. Suggesting regions include Hano Baal, Hani Baal, and Hanabael. And Baal's Lord is gracious, Baal has been gracious, or grace of Baal is essentially what it's saying. Said is it equivalent to the fellow Semitic Hebrew name Haniel. And when you look in, uh, you know, in the Bible and you see, uh, you know, names of Jewish people, Baal is in their names also. So it is uh, common for the Baal and it to be used in Jewish names as well. Um, but less common than the El phonetic, I guess I would say. So that relationship is solid. And you can see that with names in the Bible. Um, it says the Phoenicians and the Carthaginians, like many West Asian Semitic peoples, do not use hereditary surnames, but were typically distinguished from this burning the name used in patronymics or epithets although he is far by far the most famous Hannibal when further clarification is necessary he is usually referred to Hannibal son of Hamilcar or Hannibal the Barkid the latter term applying to the family of his father Hamilcar Barca he said which is a synetic Congo man meaning lightning or thunderbolt a surname acquired by Hamilcar on account of the swiftness and ferocity of his attacks. Barca is cognate with the similar names for lightning found among the Israelites, Assyrians, Babylonians, Aramaeans, Amorites, Moabites, Eomites, and other fellow Asiatic Semitic people. You know, and then in 195 BC, uh, Hannibal's exiled from Carthage. Um, and he went to link up with Antiochus who uh, you know one of the people who uh, took over after Alexander the Great 
think it's Antiochus III, but it's one of the empires that split off from Alexander the Great. And the area that he was in, it says that Hannibal first journeyed to Tyr, the mother city of Carthage, and then to Antioch before he finally reached Epiphus, where he was honorably received by Antiochus. Hannibal was tasked with building a fleet in Silica from scratch. So that's another one of the, the descendants. Uh, and then at one point Antiochus was defeated and uh, I believe he was defeated by Ptolemy and Ptolemy look, took that portion and the rest became known as the Seleucid Empire right so Hannibal was suspicious that Antiochus was prepared to surrender him to the Romans so Hannibal fled to Crete which is where Europa went to says but he soon went back to anatolia and sought refuge with Prussia's of bithynia who was engaged with warfare with rome's ally and he died about eight years later in you know around 180 bc so now we still tracing all of this down to 180 bc and then you jump back to the bible right you have this uh guy in the book of acts named Simeon Niger right so in Acts 13 1 it says now there were in the church that was Antioch certain prophets and teachers such as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaim which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul right so Herod the Tetrarch I think it means one of the four Herods because there were multiple Herods or whatever but uh it was the church at Antioch. And one of the things that is significant to the church of Antioch is they say that's where the first time the term Christian was actually used. And Barnabas and Simi of Niger and helped, you know, build and bring up that specific church. that's a little tidbit about Simeon Niger but this takes us to uh, AD after the time of Christ and we're still referring to people who relate to this in the ancient you know Canaanite area right uh, the next big person in history is actually uh, Severus Septimus I don't know of any uh, real relationship that he has except uh, he was a Roman emperor He's a very interesting guy. Um, it says from 193 to 211 AD. Um, he was born in Leptis Magna. It says present day Alcum's Libya in the Roman province of Africa. Which is, you know, where we see this translation through Hannibal to where it's being called Africa. And the Roman province of Africa is on the northern coast and was established in 146 BC following the defeat of Carthage in the Third Punic War. This is when they salted the earth of Carthage and all of that in the stories. It was like 50 years after Hannibal. But it is roughly comprised at the territory of present-day Tunisia, northeast Algeria, and the coast of western Libya, Gulf of uh, Sirte. It says the territory was originally inhabited by the Berber people, known in Latin as Maori, indigenous to all North Africa, west of Egypt. 
In the 9th century BC, Phoenicians built settlements along the Mediterranean Sea to facilitate shipping of which Carthage rose to dominance in the 8th century BC until its conquest by the Roman Republic. So another thing about Severus Septimus is that uh, the Roman Empire reached its greatest extent under his reign, over 5 million square kilometers. Um, and he pretty much conquered Britain except for like a small portion of it and then I think he tried to even go in Scotland so this guy did a lot but he was more of an usurper to the throne so eventually when he died his sons were killed off and all of that he was kind of wiped out so when you go through all of that it's like that's about where I can trace things to time and with this uh, ancient tracing it from what the Greeks and Bible say about you know Memphis and Egypt and descendants and their kingdom and all the way to 280 so what do you hear about that now like only thing you can do now is kind of look towards um, certain pieces of DNA and things like that so when it comes to the Phoenicians and then the whole northern Libya area he had the islands off the coast of like Africa and Italy Sardinia and Corsica which they say have about a five or six percent Phoenician ancestry that they are able to trace um when you get over into that area in northern Africa and also in Spain you have like the Sephardic Jews of Spain which um, would have migrated up through Africa and you have a relationship of when Hannibal was there he actually conquered a portion of the east coast of Africa and Cartagena and all of that stuff so they were there then then they came back as when the Moors came back you know and that's like two times they go into Spain you know so you have that group uh, you know which would date back to you know ancient Canaan then you have like the Igbo tribe and the Yoruba okay now there's some controversy about the Igbo with DNA but um, they are being retested based on the limba and there's a whole deep explanation about DNA that gets complicated with it so they are still trying to figure it out but um some people say that they have the second largest haplogroup of Jews though not the first one so that's one big part of it um but um when you look at the Igbo and the Yoruba and even the Spanish because when you look at Spain and things like that you can show that you know uh people were um during the transatlantic slave trade people were sent to uh saint thomas and you know places like that um and uh you know they kind of went to the caribbean islands and things like that then you have the igbo tribe who claimed to be of israelite descent um they were dispersed during the slave trade to places like Jamaica, Cuba, Santo Domingo, Barbados, Colonial America, Belize, 
Trinidad and Tobago, it says. Um, the elements of Igbo culture can still be found in these places. It says in Jamaican patois, the Igbo word unu, meaning you, plural, is still used. Red Igbo, because sometimes they, it says Igbo, like Igbo, it's pronounced Igbo. So red Igbo describes a black person with fair or yellowish skin. That basically is the term for red bone that we even use today in English. You know, another thing from the culture is uh, okra is also from, you know, Igbo territory. But um, says since the late 20th century, a wave of Nigerian immigrants, mostly English and Igbo speaking, have settled in Maryland, attracted to a strong professional job market. It says uh, Igbo people were also imported during the slave trade to the southern borders of Georgia and South Carolina, considered the low country and where Gullah culture still preserved African traditions of its ancestors. Today, there is an area called Igbo Landing, where a group of Igbo had tried to drown themselves rather than become slaves when they disembarked the slave ship. And I believe that ship was called the Wanderer, but I didn't see it there. Um, and that's kind of some of the the Igbo they claim they're descended of the Israelites and uh you know some of them in the diaspora right so the Yoruba tribe is also from the same area as them even though they don't necessarily claim to be of Israelite descent even though there is a small group of them that do so this is kind of like you know representing a sect inside the Yoruba but you know it's, it's a sign of intermingling right so the Yoruba tribe say that uh, one of their guys because they do have a religious pantheon and all of that stuff but they believe in one supreme deity which is the very interesting part of it that created everything even though they do have a pantheon of distinctively lesser gods um, more distinct than I probably think any other religion even mentions but because you know he gave them power specifically they just didn't have powers or you know stuff like that but um but it's hard for me to go into details that i'm not an expert but um the guy odudwa they say believe traveled with gad's son iri ariela and arodi from north africa likely egypt instead of in what is today known as nigeria it coincides with Yoruba oral history that they believe they come from outside of West Africa. Odudua was said to be a descendant of Ham through Nimrod, also called Lamudru, this according to Yoruba Christian Samuel Johnson in 1880. Um, the current Yoruba Jewish population who claimed to come from the Israel tribe of Ephraim was said to have been driven to Yoruba land from Morocco by Muslims and eventually mingled with the Yoruba people. These black Jews in southern Nigeria are called Emo Yoquem or strange people by the native Africans, but these black Jews call themselves Benai Ephraim or sons of Ephraim. And it says outside of Africa, the Yoruba diasporas consist of two main groupings. The first being that of Yorubas taking their slaves to the New York world between the 16th to the 19th centuries, notably to the Caribbean, especially in Cuba and Brazil. And the second 
consisting of a wave of relatively recent migrants, the majority of who began to migrate to the United Kingdom and the United States following some major economic and political changes encountered in Africa in the 1960s to the 80s. You know, so... I guess that's that's where I where I start this right. So I just track this all the way through Greek mythology, all the way to the diaspora to America, and these people, you know, and all of these claims are related to uh, people being of African and Canaanite descent. Um. As it has stories in Hebrew stories in the Bible, pieces from Greek mythology, pieces from uh, Roman history, you know, all of these things that I try my best to put together to um, just show evidence of, um, you know, these stories of black people that we don't get to see because, you know, I guess ultimately if you say history is written by the victors and uh sometimes we weren't the victors a lot of times we weren't right so they wrote the story in a certain way so sometimes you got to look and see what's the other side of the story so you know the next time you start you know hearing somebody talking about greek mythology or something like that maybe you should you know Maybe you can go, hey, you know, yeah, I really like King Minos. You know, he was black, you know, or something like that, you know. But I hope y'all enjoyed the information that I brought to you. I, I think I will do some more things on Greek mythology. I may even consider doing a section just talking about, uh, you know, just black Greece general and things like that. Maybe make a series out of it. But my next episode, I will go to a different part maybe Egyptian mythology or something like that I'll jump into a different space and do some more relations um you know and I even have some other relationships that I can can do towards some more modern things as well so I hope y'all enjoy stay tuned give me a little time and I'll be back with another episode Thank you.